welcome back to the South End Zone Podcast here on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm your host this week. I'm Jason. I'm here with Eric. Timmy is still out of pocket. Eric, what's going on, man? You, you excited for this episode? Yeah, it'll be fun. It, uh, I, th- I think comparing a, a past version of something to the present and then trying to figure out what the future holds, um, really on a lot of topics, uh, is kind of interesting to me and college football teams in particular. Uh, so we've got a couple of kind of interesting ones um, that uh, that we'll be talking to or talking about tonight and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, well, they they used to be interesting. Now they're not so interesting, but, um, you know, at least, well, I guess, I, okay, I say it's not interesting, but it really is when you look at it. It's like, God, how did they get so bad when they were so good? It's mm-hmm. It's... It's kind of mind-blowing, honestly. So, uh, for our listeners, this week uh, we're going to be covering Florida State and Miami, sort of a, you know, fall from grace, if you will. You know, a couple of former, like, powerhouse blue blood programs, and we're going to take a look at where they came from and uh, how they ended up here in the dumpster fire that they are and how they may potentially, if they ever have a chance how they're going to get back and become a blue blood again. So uh, this is going to be what one of about three of these, I think uh, th- we're going yeah, to do. I think we have three, we have three scheduled. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, so we'll, we're going to cover uh, some more later on. I think Nebraska and Texas are going to be in there somewhere and then maybe yeah. one more. I, don't I know. think we're doing them next. And then uh, we probably will be taking a look at USC. Oh man, USC. That's a lot of hot topic. A lot of a lot of hot topics of the USC making some recruiting noise, that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about two Florida schools that just stink. We suck, Eric. I'm going to start. I'm going to start with you. So I'm going to let you kind of lead this discussion here. So give me give me your rundown. Like what I have written down here is basically like. A little bit of a historical summary and kind of touching on their most recent period of elite play and then go over like their period of sort of irrelevance and then find a way back. So take me through it. Florida State, the Seminoles. Okay. So a historical summary, um, I guess just to summarize it as efficiently as I can is uh, Florida State, in my opinion, is probably like the gold standard for sustained excellence in college football. Uh, when you talk about specifically the Bobby Bowden years, you know, 1977 to 2017, they had 41 consecutive winning seasons. And, you know, when, when you talk about how, you know, so, um, how good a program is long term, you're looking at, you know, quantity, right? As far as how, how long were they good for? And then quality, like kind of what was their peak, right? How, how good were they at their best? And, and you know, and as far as that department, they're pr- pretty impressive as well. Um, they had 14 straight seasons from 1987 to 2000. They finished the season ranked in the top four of the AP poll and won double digit games. Yeah, that, uh, that's a record that I don't think will ever be broken. No, I, I, I was actually thinking about that. I was like, man, I, you know, I could almost like Kirby smart and Dabo, like they're young enough to, you know, you can maybe talk yourself into saying, okay, well, you know, maybe this program falls off or Saban retires or what, you know, and I just, like the the current active streak leader is Nick Saban with two, right? and, <laughs> and the most times he's ever done that is five. Like Dabo is six, Pete Carroll is seven, uh, Urban Meyer was two, Bob Stoops was two, 
14 straight years to, to finish in the top four is just, I, I don't see it being repeated, like you said. No, no, I don't think it's ever going to come close to being touched, especially now with uh, NIL and, you know, all the parody and the playoffs. And I, I just don't. That's just straight juggernaut status, man. 14 straight seasons. Yeah. And the playoff changes that uh, kind of formula quite a bit because to end up in the top four, you either have to make the playoff or you have to finish like fifth and then just roll somebody in your bowl game and hope the number 14 gets blown out and you can sneak into that, you know, every year for a decade and a half. I just, I just don't see it. I agree. But, you know, they, uh, and then you get to the Jimbo years, um, you know, they won 29 straight games from, 2012 to 2014 uh won a national title in there the three overall we'll talk about why it could or should have been more but uh, 18 conference titles which for a little context they weren't in a conference until 1990 so it's 18 conference titles in 30 years um (laughs) 31 years yeah yeah they they dominated it for the most of the first 15 to 20 years they were in it yep and so they're uh you know, most of their like, you know, real success was a little further back than, than some of these other teams we're going to talk about. So maybe some younger fans or younger listeners might not really, you know, some of this might be new to them as far as like how good Florida State really was uh, for how, you know, for so long. Well, um, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, mo- <laughs> pretty much anybody that's, you know, like younger than probably I am. I mean, I'm 37. So if you're younger than about 35, you probably don't remember most of when Florida State was good. I mean, right. I, I I remember watching them in 99, like that 99 Florida State team. I mean, for me, they rank in the top five of college football teams I've ever seen play. Like they were incredibly good that year. So, uh, but if you're younger than about 35, you probably don't remember much Florida State success outside of the Jimbo years. You're so. right. You're like, oh yeah, they had Jameis Winston for a couple seasons and he was really good. They won a national championship. They made the playoff, but you know, really, and part of it is after they, they lost the championship game to Oklahoma in 2000, the rest of the Bobby Bowden years was, you know, most of the, uh, the aughts, you know, from, from 2000 to 2010, they were, they were good. You know, they were like a consistently like eight and four type team. Then Jimbo got there and in eight years he went, uh, he won 83 games. In eight years, he went five and two in bowl games. Uh, from 2012 to 2016, he went 59 and nine. Damn. And then uh, 2017, maybe some stuff that uh, you know, kind of transitioning into where where did things go wrong, right? Because their their most recent period of elite play was the Jimbo years. From 2012 to 2016, they were, um, you know, they were what Clemson has been the last six seasons, basically. You know, the right. the the ACC just basically went through them, and you had no chance. <laughs> yeah no it was a guaranteed l for most people that right. lined up against them and so a couple of things happened in 2016 2017 type of time frame that really sort of i don't want to say accelerated their downfall but uh, you know it was, it was sort of a, a combination of events that really they fell off fast because they go from you know jimbo going 83 and 23 in eight seasons to th- the four years since they're they're 17 and 24. I'm totally embarrassed and totally ashamed. So you're like, well, what the hell happened? And to me, it's a combination of uh, they had horrible luck uh, recruiting <laughs> quarterbacks. Uh, Jimbo missed on three straight quarterbacks. Every quarterback mm-hmm. he signed out of high school from 23 or 2013 to 2017 
left the school before completing eligibility. You know, he, he had three straight guys transfer out like in consecutive years where there, there was, you know, he kicked them off the team cause they're shitheads or, um, you know, one guy, uh, punched out a girl in a bar. Uh, one guy wasn't happy with how much he was or wasn't playing. It's just, it was one thing after another. Uh, but 2017, the wheels really kind of all fell off at once. Yeah. And add that bullshit to the, you know, the whole controversy with Jameis Winston, you know, at the quarterback position, stealing crab legs from a fucking supermarket and just, ugh. Yep. And then uh, 2017, the wheels kind of fell off all at once on them. That, that was your um, DeAndre Francois in the opener. They played Alabama. He hurt his knee opening game. Oh, man. I remember that game. I watched it. I felt bad for that. That poor kid, man. He was getting killed the whole yeah, game. He was I just mean, getting Alabama crushed. just had a. <laughs> they had, Alabama had a squad that year on defense, yeah. man, and oh god, it was it it was sad to watch. It really was. So now, because he they had so much misfortune, and remember, this is before immediate eligibility and transfer portal. Like you know, you, five years ago, you could not plug a hole in the roster as nearly as easily as you can now. Yeah, no. So starting quarterback gets hurt in the I believe like the third quarter of game one. Yeah. And they're they're starting a true freshman for the rest of the year. What was that kid's name? Uh, so, uh James Blackman. James Blackman. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, big tall, lanky kid. Yeah, really, really skinny guy. And he's a fairly talented guy. He's a great athlete. He just it didn't seem like he had much help. And certainly <laughs> no. not as much help as a true freshman um playing in a power five conference is gonna need. But yeah, they start off one and three, um, won a couple games. They go up to Boston College and just get smoked. Uh, you know, they, BC drills them by like 30 and they go to two and oh. five now. So that's, that's the on the field stuff. That's, you know, as far as that particular season, well, behind all the scenes is this whole time, you know, Jimbo is fighting with the administration and the boosters over money, right? Because he wants to, you know, this is, this is a place where Bobby Bowden won for four decades, just with whatever they felt like giving him. And he was never the guy standing on the table saying, hey, I need an indoor practice facility. I need this. We need to renovate that. I need, you know, what I need a bigger salary pool for my assistant. You know what he he was kind of he wasn't, you know, much of a, a squeaky wheel. And uh, Jimbo was. And the the boosters at that time. Right. These are all guys who have been supporting a program that has won consistently for 40 years. Yeah. And they're wondering why. Why do we have to change? Yeah. This conversation is going nowhere. So, you know, so Jimbo's unhappy with that. He wants to pay his assistants more because he's losing them. And he he wants to upgrade this. He wants to upgrade that. He And the money just wasn't there. So frustrating year on the field, uh, frustrating year for Jimbo off the field. Um, he was going through a divorce at the time. And his his son was, uh, I forget the actual condition, but his, his son was diagnosed with a medical condition. So now he's he's got that weighing on him. And, you know, really just got to kind of a breaking point where he was like, you know, I just don't feel like this is a place that's going to allow me, you know, give me what I need to succeed. Uh, so Texas A&M comes calling and he leaves. So then they hire Willie Tiger. Oh, no. Oh, so, no. That I got to say, before you get into that, like that hire was a strange marriage to me from minute one. I was like, it this, was, and it was like, this immediate. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like why, why would, I, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. So if you, if you go on and Google, um, 
you know, Florida State, Jimbo Fisher, Booster, ESPN, right? Or some combination of those words. It'll, it'll take you back to a, a pretty in-depth and really, really informative story on kind of a lot of the stuff we're talking about now, um, as far as how the Willie Taggart hire came about, but they hired him like four or five days after Jimbo announced he was leaving. Um, so it really makes you wonder how much thought they put into that. But so they hire him from Oregon where he had been for one year. Well, Oregon hired him from UCF, right? They poached him from USF, not UCF, uh, South Florida. And his Oregon contract contained language basically that says, Hey, if, if someone else comes and hire you, you know, yeah, they're buying your contract out from us, but they're also picking up whatever we owe South Florida for buying you out from them. And either, either they didn't understand that or they didn't care, but they hire him from, from Oregon. They're paying two buyouts to hire him. And so that cost, that cost a little over $32 million. Good grief. And then, then he's got to be some kind of oversight. Like, no, I mean, you don't hire a guy like that and pay $32 million in two buyouts. If you, if like even there's any, if there would be any kind of questions raised about the hire, which many of us did have those questions, uh, like what <laughs> that's gotta be some kind I, of, I just do remember dumb thinking of like, man, you know, yeah, let's like, yeah, Willie tell you, he had a couple of good years at USF and he just got going in Oregon. I don't know. I mean, it, it felt like at the time I remember thinking it felt like they could have gone after a bigger name. Yeah, I mean, it made sense for Willie Taggart. Yeah, I don't blame him at all for doing that. But, you know, I mean, he's he's from Florida originally. He's, he was, he grew up a Florida State fan. Yeah, of course, he's going to jump at that. But, you know, they, so they, they pay a bunch of money to hire him. And, you know, I, I don't know a ton about Willie Taggart, but I do know that personality-wise, him and Jimbo Fisher are polar opposites, right? So he takes over in his first year, and there's really kind of a perception around the program of a very lackadaisical approach lack of accountability, you know, they're not focusing as much on, on detail. And yeah, I remember conversations being, you know, had on Twitter and things like that early in his tenure, like already, like, I feel like he started that job on the hot seat. Does that make sense? Like, it seems like the fans were unhappy with the hire and (laughs) like he, I don't feel like he really had a, a shot going in. No, I was going to say, looking back, I don't ever, I didn't think about about it much at the time, but looking back, I really question whether he got a fair shake as far as, you know, did he really get a chance to, because you're talking about year one, you know, and he had problems in that, in that locker room. Oh yeah. I mean, they were a dumpster fire when he took over. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff that, that maybe Jimbo either overlooked or dealt with behind the scenes and really didn't publicize, but they had, you know, that academic rate was garbage. Graduation rate was garbage. You know, they had arrests like a lot of big schools do. It happens with college kids, but, um, there, you know, there's the perception that he was just kind of coasting. It wasn't really holding guys accountable and driving. First year, he goes uh, five and seven. We sucked. And that's after a five and six season, to, you know, with Jimbo the year before. So you're like, okay, well, it's kind of treading water. Year one, not terrible. Then they start off four and five <sighs> the next year and, and they fire him and they, they pay him a $22 million buyout for him and his staff. <laughs> $54 million. Yeah. So 55 million bucks for, for the Willie Taggart experience. Yikes. So, so now you drop 50 million bucks on, on, on a coach and his staff and your team's been kind of blah for, 
couple of years, you know, you got declining revenue, no ticket sales. There's not much enthusiasm around the program. And then on top of that, the COVID year hits. So they hire Mike Norvell from Memphis. And, you know, so far he's, he's eight and 12 from, from looking at the 2020 season to this past season, there's, you can see a little bit of progress. They're kind of like uh, we talked about with Nebraska. You, you sort of, you can see what you want to see. Like if you're looking for something with them, you'll find it, wh- whatever that outcome is. So I, I think they will be better next year. Uh, Norvell's done a really good job of filling talent gaps in the roster via the transfer portal. Um, we talked about the, the one recruit, the high school recruit they lost on signing day to prime time. But uh, so that's kind of been like their last six years really for them have just hit, have been rough. It's been utterly mediocre. I mean, they're just, they're a mediocre team. And yeah, they're just sort of that, there. Yeah. And something you kind of touched on that makes me think about something too. You know, you talked about how during the Willie Taggart years, they, he takes over from Jimbo, they're a dumpster fire and they stink it up for two seasons and then they fire him. And then the COVID year hits and all during that time, no improvements made to their facilities. None. And all around the country, you've got teams like Clemson and Texas A&M and LSU and Alabama spending hundreds of millions of dollars upgrading their facilities. And Florida State's not doing it. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was Jimbo's gripe. He's looking around like, yeah, I, you know, I won a national championship two years ago. Cool. You know, that doesn't help me now when Clemson is doing this, right? When Alabama is doing that, when Ohio State's doing the other thing, it's like, you know, I, I can't do what I do did two years ago again with, with the same resources I had two years ago. Right. And with, you know, the playoff, I mean, the, they won the last BCS championship. They didn't win a playoff right. title. So, I mean, the, the landscape had drastically changed a year later. <laughs> so, yeah, they, it's like they didn't change with it. Right. And it's kind of a perfect storm of events that where they go from, you know, winning, winning a national championship in 2013 to going, uh, you know, 10 and 13 in a two year stretch, like four seasons later. Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. So now, and, and again, there's there's reason for optimism. They they have, you know, between their administration and the guys in charge of the boosters, which is, you know, a completely external organization from the university, right, which is part of the problem. But a lot of the, the leadership on both sides has changed out, and they seem like they're a little better aligned on their vision, their collective vision, right? We've talked about administration and boosters and everybody being aligned on here before, right? Because coaches talk about it when they get hired and really is, you know, is everybody pulling on the rope in the same direction? Oh does, yeah. Does everybody involved in, in doing what needs to be done to put a competitive team on the field year after year? Oh, Do we yeah. all agree on what's happening, right? So like Auburn, right, is, is the most glaring example of. Yeah. And I'm about to talk about another one here in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You are. And another one next week too. Um, oh, but yeah. Yeah. So there, there's talks of a new football facility that they're, they're trying to raise money for. And the thing that gets me is all that stuff that Jimbo was asking for, like he would still be there like now to this day, if they'd have just taken that $55 million that they paid for to have Willie Taggart for a season and a half and just put it to where he wanted, you know, in an indoor practice facility, which you need to have anywhere. If, if you are in a state that borders the, the Gulf of Mexico, 
you need an indoor practice facility. Oh, yeah. Because you, you cannot practice in August outside. No. It's like 9,000 degrees in Tallahassee right. in August. Right. Or, <laughs> or it's a monsoon and you can't go out there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, as far as going forward, I, you know, I've said it before. I think Norvell is a guy who can get them back to maybe not winning national championships. But I think he, you know, as early as the 2023 season can be consistently competing to win the ACC. You know, hmm. And then where, where they go after that, you know, who knows, but, um, you know, he's done well in recruiting. He's done really well in the transfer portal. His, his teams are, you know, even a lot of their losses, it's, you know, a play here or a play there. Um, you know, they were five and seven and they were probably a handful of plays from you with your success is what you're doing. But, you know, and Bobby Bowden is probably my favorite college coach ever. So I have a little bit, you know, I live three hours from Tallahassee. I have a little bit of a soft spot for him, I guess. I would like to see them get back to, you know, at least in the vicinity of where they were. You know, to me, Florida State is one of those teams where college football is just better if they're good, like as a whole. Yeah, I, I agree. They're they're in line with that, you know, that Texas, Notre Dame, Michigan, you know, kind USC kind of program where football is definitely more interesting to watch if they're good. Right. You know, it's like I've heard people say, oh, well, I, you know, baseball, you know, Major League Baseball is better if the Yankees and Red Sox are, are competitive. Right. And it's kind of like that. I mean, you have more teams than just two or three or four kind of marquee names in college football. But I think Florida State is one of them, certainly. So I would, I would like to see them get back to, you know, not being a, a five and seven, you know, perpetual team. So I, and I think it's realistic, but it's not going to be immediate because they, they do have a lot of catching up to do. Hmm. Well, I'm going to sort of put some cold water on him doing well in recruiting because based on what I'm looking at, he hasn't brought in a higher than number 20 class since he's been there. So, I mean, based on where they were when he took over, sure. I mean, that's an improvement, but not enough to get it done to win the conference. I mean, it's just not like Miami's recruited better than they have. And that's not good. <laughs> you know, North Carolina has definitely been better in recruiting than they have. Clemson, obviously. Right. But that, and that 20 is also after uh, the, the Hunter kid bounced to the last minute. Right. Like he, I mean, if they, if he doesn't go, they're not 20. They're probably like 12. Yeah, it's possible. That, that definitely probably hurt them. And I think if you get for them with, with what they do with transfer portal guys, I think if they can get to top 15 as far as the high school recruiting, though, because they're not going to bring in a ton of transfer guys, but the guys they brought in have, have really been impactful. So, I mean, we'll see. Time will tell, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of pulling for them. Yeah, I don't know. That's, I just, man, you're a little bit more optimistic than I am on Florida State. It's just, I, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I, I've been sitting around for years hoping they make a move, but I just don't see it. It's one of those things. I just think they're going to continue to be mediocre until they get like a just big time coach, man. Like that's what it takes nowadays. You just, you have to have a big time coach who makes big time shit happen. And who better than prime time, baby? I'm telling you, like, I think he could get it done down there. I mean, am I crazy to think that? Because. I mean, look what he's doing at Jackson State. Uh, I mean, shit, you're I telling me he couldn't get, you're telling me he couldn't convince the boosters to pay him a little money to 
you know, improve the facilities, bring some good kids back there? I don't know. I mean, if Deion Sanders is the coach at Florida State, Travis Hunter's playing for Florida State right now. You know what yeah, I'm saying? I don't like, know. I go back and forth <laughs> on on if he is something they should, you know, someone they should really look at. I don't. And it's not a knock on Norvell like he's not a bad coach. It's just you have got to bring in top five recruiting classes if you're going to win your conference consistently and win, have a shot to make the playoffs and win championships. You got to bring in top five recruiting classes, period. I mean, it's just got to have the horses. And thus far, Norvell not able to get the horses. So we'll see. I don't know. But before, uh, before we move forward, do you got any other things on Florida State? Because honestly, like that, <laughs> oh man, I didn't realize. Like, I mean, it's almost like the same story I'm about to tell. It's kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of the stuff we just talked about with Florida State is going to be a common theme the next couple of weeks, but we'll see once we actually get into them. Yeah, agree. Well, uh, before I move forward, I'm going to take a second and tell you guys about our corporate sponsor. Uh, which is DraftKings Sportsbook. So uh, if you're a college basketball fan, which uh, you know a lot of us are, uh, you can get in on the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year uh, with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Uh, if they win, you win. Pretty simple. Uh, if uh, sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can still join in on the college hoops action with DraftKings pools. Everyone can play free pools uh, all March long for a shot at a share of over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round, who will hit the most three pointers, etc. Download the DraftKings sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with the promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. See our show notes for the details. All right. Yeah. March Madness. It's it's almost here. Uh, But before March Madness, we're going to talk about the other Florida school that uh, is not what they used to be and how they how they stopped being what they used to be, and can they be what they used to be? I am old enough to remember when these guys wrecked everybody all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. If you were growing up in the 80s, they were a straight juggernaut. So, yeah. Oh, man, this this school, honestly, it was painful to go through some of this. It's like, I, I don't want to say, like, everything is bad about it, but it was just like one piss poor decision after another that led them down this path. Okay. So uh, for those of you of our listeners who don't know, uh, now I, I think ESPN actually ran a special on this, like a 30 for 30 or something. It was like a decade of dominance or something like that is what it was called. Uh, basically 1983 uh, to 93, uh, Miami won four national titles, appeared in six of them, and they were in the mix for a couple of others. So. 83 to 93, they completely and utterly dominated college football. (laughs) Like it was a guaranteed L anytime you played them. So, but after 93, they kind of fell off there for a, a couple of years, you know? And then, so Butch Davis takes over in 95. And before I 
go here. I mean, college football was still pretty much the same as it was in the 80s, in the early 90s. No major rule changes, you know, no nothing, but they, they fall off. So Butch Davis takes over. And the one thing that was different back then is coaches got more time. Okay. Like they, when you hire a coach, do. he got a minimum like four years, right? Now, guys like Willie Tagger, like you talked about, they get two years. And if you suck, you're gone. Right. Yeah. You get, you get 20 games. Yeah. He got 20 games and got canned. So when Davis takes over in 95, he has, you know, like a decent season starting out. And then he has a couple of just mediocre seasons. Then ultimately, like he finishes with a record of 51 and 20. Okay. In five seasons as their head coach. But in his final year, 2000, Miami goes 11 and one, wins the Sugar Bowl. And like this was bad decision number one. And it was by Butch Davis. Rather than stick around with Miami, he takes that 11 and one and Sugar Bowl win and parlays that into the head coaching job with the expansion Cleveland Browns. Remember when the Browns came back into football? Remember that? Cleveland Browns part (laughs) due. Yeah, yeah, the the Browns part do, which still sucked just as bad as the original Browns. So Davis, he leaves Miami and takes that job and falls into utter obscurity. Has four bad seasons with him, resigns halfway through his fourth year, you know, comes to North Carolina after that, he stinks, you know, gets fired, goes to like FI or FIU or somewhere, you know, some just never the same after that. Well, uh after Butch Davis leaves, they promote Larry Coker from within. This is in 2000 leading into the 2001 season. Uh, Larry Coker proceeds to go 35-3 and three over the next three seasons with a team that Butch Davis built and wins the 01 BCS title and almost won another, you know, there against Ohio State, one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And ultimately... After they joined the ACC in 2004, because you remember they were in the Big East, yep, and they won they won the conference championship like like ten like ten out of twelve years or something. It was ridiculous. So once they joined the ACC in 04, they start to fall into obscurity a little bit. They go nine and three, nine and three, and then in 2006 they go six and six, and they win their bowl game. And they asked Larry Coker about his job. And he says, I'll be back next year. Well, they fired him the next day. (sighs) Since then, I mean, and like Larry Coker went 60 and 15 over his career at Miami. Imagine over the next six years, if Mario Cristobal was 60 and 15, you think there's any chance they're firing him? You must think I'm dumb. 60 and 15? No. No. Winning 10, 11 games a year? No. He's he's still there. So yeah, imagine winning the national championship, having two uh a twelve win season and an eleven win season after that championship and being fired three years later for yeah, poor go, for you, poor performance. You, you go to five straight New Year's six bowls and yeah. win a national title and and yeah, the, three years the later, first time yeah, the yep. first time you go to a mid tier bowl because you're six and six. That's that's rough yep, look. You're out. So A lot of rumblings, you know, that Coker's losing control of the locker room and, you know, a fight breaks out in the tunnel, leaving that bowl game between the two teams. It was just nasty situation. So Coker gets fired and bad decision number two, 
related with Miami. They take that dysfunctional team and they promote another coach from within, Randy Shannon. Nothing against the guy personally. You know, I don't know anything about him personally. But when you have a dysfunctional football team, to me, better off to just clean house and get a new staff in there. Yeah. Hiring hiring Randy Shannon is kind of the opposite of cleaning house because he played for them in the mid eighties. He he was on those mid eighties hurricane teams. Like he's from Miami. He grew up in Miami. He played at Miami. And so he was I I'm pretty sure he won a Broyles Award before he showed up there. Um but Maybe he was so. they, they they promoted him from within. He was, I believe, the defensive coordinator. Yeah, he, he was might, he, he might have been, yeah, like secondary. So there was something. he was he was on staff already. They hired him from within. Um, yeah, but you're right. He probably since- <laughs> probably should have maybe just kind of hit the reset button. Yeah, that I think with them joining a new conference, playing new teams, the landscape was changing. Coker's on the outs. I mean, I feel like it would have been a good time for them to, you know, obviously hindsight being 2020, probably a good time to hit the reset button because since they've hired Randy Shannon, they've gone a combined 107 and 74 is what I have them. So pretty mediocre. And they've... Are you saying since they hired him or since they fired him? No, since they hired Randy Shannon. Yeah. 107 and 74 is what I have written down here. (laughs) So pretty utterly mediocre. They've had one double digit win season since then uh that or since 2003 really when coker two years removed from his uh when they lost the national championship to ohio state right they've had one double digit win season since then 2017 under mark rick uh and notably like it didn't help in like 2006 when coker got canned it didn't help that florida was crushing people because the gators won the national title that year I think that was Urban Meyer's second season. So yeah, some of the and timing is has a lot to do with. I think probably most of these schools will talk about where maybe something started to not go right for them, and it it happened just as something was starting to bubble up somewhere else. Right. You know what I, mean? I mean, you look at like you look at the other schools that have had double digit win seasons since two thousand six in the state of Florida. Florida's had six. Florida State has had six. Central Florida has had seven, and even South Florida has had two double-digit win seasons. Yeah, I was going to say that under Willie Taggart, believe it or not. Yeah, under Willie Taggart, your guy. (laughs) So it just, it wasn't, it was kind of a perfect storm again, you know, one of those situations. And I think now they're on their seventh head coach since 2003. Yeah, it's been a bunch. And what's weird about them is they haven't, they never truly like bottomed out. Every coach they've had for like the last 30 years left there with a winning record. Well, the, right. But. Which is weird winning, that they never, that no one ever like got over the hump in the last 20 years. Well, and I'm going to tell you why <laughs> that no one's getting over the hump. And like, that's, that's the number one question I'm asking myself as I'm doing this research. I'm like, God, like, how, I mean, why can't they win more than seven or eight games? Well. I'm going to tell you how. Uh, First of all, first and foremost, like you kind of stated with Florida State, and I know we've touched on this on the show before, the administration is not on the same page as the athletic department. And and that is a sentence we will say again. 
Yeah. And that, like, it's just the, as the college football landscape was changing, they did not. So ultimately, even to this day, their facilities are bad. They're bad. They're not good facilities. They don't even remotely compare to the premier programs in college football facility wise, like Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Texas, Texas A&M, Alabama. They they, they don't even compare to like the second tier. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, they're on, they're on par with like a good group of five school, you know? I mean, it's, and now granted, I do want to shed a little light on that. They are a small school. Like to put it in perspective, Alabama has like 40,000 undergrad students. Okay. Miami has 11,000. So it's a small school. Yeah. Miami's private school. Most people don't know that. Right. It's a private school. They've only got 11,000 students. So in order for a lot of these. Because it's a really, really good school. Like it is a good college and it has kind of, I don't know if it's, if it's because of the, the eighties and nineties football teams, like the perception of Miami, the university of Miami as a, an academic institution and what it actually is are like light years apart. I know. And that's what, like most people don't realize that's like a really good medical school among other things. Like it's, you know, so I think as the football team sort of fell by the wayside focus kind of shifted into the other areas where we can make the most money and do the most good. And that's our academics. And the facilities just went to shit. And you you talked about them not hitting a bottom, but I'm going to tell you when they did hit a bottom. Uh, the biggest blow to this football team was losing the, the orange bowl. Like the orange bowl was falling apart. The stadium's falling apart. Okay, you're talking about you the know. stadium, not the game. Yeah, not the, not the game. Uh, the actual stadium, the Orange Bowl, for yeah. our younger listeners, that's where Miami used to play football. It was yes. a stadium in Coral Gables right on their campus. And not 30 or, miles well, from the campus. Yeah, it was you know right there, like close enough to where the students could still get there. It was much more convenient than going to Miami Dolphin Stadium. <laughs> you know, Hard Rock Stadium now. <sighs> 2008 was the last time they played in the Orange Bowl. And the last game they played there, they played Virginia and they got destroyed, just blown out like by 30. And so the university basically, you know, the athletic department and they basically start threatening like, you know, the city of Miami and like, hey, we need a new stadium or we're going to leave the city. Like they're trying to bully their way into getting a new stadium there at the Orange Bowl site. And the city of Miami's just gives them a big middle finger and says, fuck you, we're going to put the Miami Marlins stadium there. And so the Hurricanes, they eject and they take their football team to Hard Rock Stadium and they start playing football in the Dolphins stadium and their fan support and not only from their students, but also just general fan support. Yeah, just in general. It just plummeted, just plummeted. So I, I watched two or three Miami games like Saturday night home Miami games and the attendance was abysmal. That yeah, that stadium is like a fourth full. Yeah. It's not good. They don't they don't even come close to selling out their games. And there's numerous reasons for that. It's not just the school or the fact that they suck at football. It's there there's a lot of things with the city of Miami 
like geographically and culturally that don't really fit the bill for there to be a ton of support, but less important, the athletic department and the administration in the city of Miami, <laughs> none of them were on the same page. So they have been just marred in obscurity and just ultimately mediocre, like I say, since 2006 when they fired Larry Coker, possibly until now. So it's no secret that they were the dominant team of the 80s um, and they were really, really good in the early 2000s. Since then, they've been trash. I mean, let's just call it what it is. But this offseason, I think along with kind of like the USC, you know, they sort of just said, hey, like, why are we just going to keep throwing money at this thing and losing money? Nobody goes to our games. <laughs> like, like we, we see what it sort of takes to win. Like, you have to, you know, come with the money. So what do they do? They go and hire uh, Radakovich, I think is how you say his last name. Uh, basically, they get Clemson's athletic director. So under that guy at Clemson, they made countless improvements to athletic facilities while he was there. I mean, that's that's kind of his MO, his thing. Everywhere he's ever been, he sort of, you know, convinces people, boosters, school administrations, things like that, to come with the money and invest in facilities. So that's what they do, or that's what he does. So that's what they got him for is to, you know, and he put out a statement as soon as he got hired, like we're going to do a big review of facilities and it's going to, we're going to make a lot of improvements around here. So then what's he do? He goes and he gets the best recruiter that really is, you know, probably available, one of the best, which is Mario Cristobal who is a Miami guy, played there, you know. So do I think they can get back? I mean, that that's the big question, right? Do you think do you think they can get back? Before I say so, what do you think? Hearing all what you've heard, do you think they can get back to being a national power? This conversation's going nowhere. I really question it and and here's why. Why did they hire Mario Cristobal? Because he's a good recruiter. Okay. Was recruiting the issue? Under Manny Diaz, I I think to some degree, yeah. Because if you look at their if you look at their recruiting rankings, I think to some degree, because I've actually got this written down here, uh, they haven't had a class ranked higher than number eight since 2010s, as far as I could get it to go back. So okay, well, under I'm Manny Diaz, kind of when Manny was there, ranked, yeah, right, under Manny kinda, Diaz, he was there what three seasons? Isn't that uh, right? Yes. Okay, so 17th, 11th, and 15th. So not terrible. No. So maybe not the biggest issue. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is because when he was there and his seat really kind of heated up about halfway through the season, the narrative was this team's underachieving, right? They're not, they're not getting the results they should get based on the amount of talent they have. You know, they, had, they had 40-something four- and five-star players on this year's roster. They went six and six. <laughs> so... <sighs> The last three years, they haven't been complaining like, hey, we don't have any talented players. We're not bringing good players in. It was, we got all these good players. We're not using them right. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're underachieving. So I don't know that you know, recruiting was their biggest issue. We're hiring a guy who is known as a good recruiter, but you could look at his time in Oregon and be like, eh, you know, kind of feel underwhelmed as far as the results he got on the field. Well, recruiting at Oregon is certainly a more difficult job than recruiting at Miami. I mean, let's let's call that what it is because Ooh, I don't for know. you to uh, it 
Dude, it absolutely is. Because, I mean, for, for Mario Cristobal to go and visit a five-star recruit, all he's got to do is get in his car and drive five minutes to Miami-Dade. There's five stars yeah. walking around all over the place down there. Whereas if you're at Oregon, you got to get on a fucking plane if you want to go visit a five-star. Yeah, and that's fine because they have the plane. He didn't have any problem recruiting <laughs> all these dudes out of California or Washington when he was in yeah, Oregon. Yeah, but a tougher sell I, to get a kid from you're, Georgia you're, to come play at Oregon. It you is. Know. You're not, you, you don't have talent just freely roaming around your backyard at Oregon. I get it. But convincing a high schooler to come to Oregon, I think right now is easier to do than convincing them to come to the University of Miami. I don't know. That, that's a tough sell because I, if I'm a high school player, I'm thinking, fuck Miami, like the beach, you know, pretty girls walking around everywhere, bunch of Latinas, you know, I mean, I'm thinking like, man. Like Miami sounds like more fun than Eugene, Oregon, which it's cold fucking 10 months a year and there's nothing there. Like, I, I don't know. To me, if yeah. you're a high school kid, it's kind of a no brainer if the teams are relatively the same. But ultimately, for most kids, it's about who's going to get me to the NFL. Well, a lot of them. I think if you're a kid from California, you're certainly more likely to go to Oregon than Miami. If you're a kid yeah. from Orlando, well, yeah, you're you're not likely to go right. to Oregon. And that and Florida, I mean, we know. Florida, I mean shit, you live right there. It's like the most recruiting rich state in America. I mean, at any given year, it could be Georgia or Florida, you or know. Or Texas. Yeah. Or but, Texas. Yeah, it's usually yeah. one of the three. And that's so, kind of that's kind of the infuriating part about this whole show is like these schools have no excuses. <laughs> no, they don't. It's just, it's ridiculous. So like, now they've got in a top 20 class, like just by accident. I, I don't know. It's weird. And it, it, it boils down to just bad coaching hires, man. And bad athletic director hires. That's kind of what I talked about with USC. Like they just made some bad coaching hires and they didn't hire an athletic director that really gave a shit about the football team. And it cost them. And now they're extremely mediocre. And speaking of, <laughs> like, just to show you how far they've fallen, like, you talked about the 14-year record of Florida State finishing in the top four, right? Well, uh, also a record that will probably, well, it could be broken. I mean, it's possible. Depends on how long Saban stays there. But from 1995 to 2008, that's 14 seasons. Miami had a player drafted in the first round of the draft every year and many times multiple players. I mean, until this year, this past year, uh, Nick Saban, I think, tied the record for most picks off of one team in the first round, which was six. That, but that's multiple how many, times. How many years did you say? 14 seasons. See, so the only that, thing that surprises me about that is that it's not a larger number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 95 to 08, 14 seasons. They had a player drafted in the first round every year. And several, mm -hmm. like I say, several of those drafts they had multiple first rounders. Right. And so they didn't, they didn't have one in 94. I'd be curious to see like how many they had before 94. Like, yeah, I don't what, know what that, how many years of a potential streak that one year broke up. Cause I would bet that they had another run right before that. Cause that's, that was the Dennis Erickson years where they won. Yeah. I think two yeah, and three Jimmy years. Jimmy Johnson years. Yeah. Well, 83 yeah, Jimmy to Johnson, 93. Yeah. So that, I mean, they, they put out NFL talent like a football factory before 2008. I mean, they put and out now, Hall of Famers. 
That's right. I mean, you go Ed Reed, Warren Sapp, Ray Lewis, on and on and on. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you go back and look at that 01 team that won the national title. I mean, think about this team, like all the freaks of nature they had. You're talking about guys like Warren Sapp, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Reggie Wayne, (laughs) like freaks everywhere, man. It's just yikes. They had Andre Johnson. Uh, who else? Willis McGahee. I mean, who's another? Oh, Frank Gore going to be a Hall of Fame running back. I mean, that like they just had dudes, man, all the time. So I think ultimately that's why they brought in Clemson's athletic director and Cristobal. We got to get back to that. We can. We've done it before. If we get our facilities up to snuff, we could do it again. I'm not going to say they can never get back to being a prominent college football program, but. I will say that I don't see it happening in the next five to 10 years because, well, I'll say five years. I won't say they gotta fix the stadium five years. Thing. I think that that's what I was going to say. It's I think ultimately until they have a stadium of their own, they're really going to struggle to get support, you know, and I know there's a couple of Miami billionaires that are trying to work some things out. They've had conversations with like state or uh, city parks, you know, to, purchase a city park from the city so they can build a stadium on it, that kind of stuff. So there again, we're in the same conversation of people are not on the same page. School administration doesn't give two shits about a new stadium. They don't care. You know, the athletic department's like, please God, let us have it. And the city of Miami, they're torn on it. They're like, "Eh, some people think we should have it. Some don't. There's a perfectly good stadium 45 minutes down the road. They're like, yeah, that's 45 minutes, but for our students, that's an hour and a half in traffic just to get there, <laughs> you know, doesn't make sense. So I don't know. They're, I'm not going to say they can never get back, but uh, I, don't I do know. think I, they hired the right guy. I will say this. I think they they hired the best guy that they could get. I'll put it that way. I don't think they could have got a better coach right okay. now than Christopher. Yeah, I mean, I- I'll, I'll give you that. If they if they were dead set that Manny Diaz was not going to be the guy going forward and they had to hire someone, they did as well as they could have. I'm just not convinced that that he's going to be the guy to turn them around. Because I don't. Yeah, think, I don't know. You know what 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 his perceived strength is is what I don't think was their issue. I don't think they had a problem getting talented kids in there. And, well, and that's he has what he's made good at. I, well, I think Cristobal, and I mean we all know he's a Saban guy comes from the Saban coaching tree. And I think one thing he understands is you've got to have good assistants. Okay. And so you go out and you look at the assistants that he's hired. Okay. Like we know he uh, hired yeah. Kevin Steele to run his defense, yep. which Kevin Steele's been all over the SEC. He knows defense. I mean, is he going to, you know, recruit all the best talent? Who knows? He's a decent recruiter, but yeah, he, he also went and hired Charlie. He also went and hired Charlie strong to be the co-defensive coordinator. Yep. So now you've got Kevin Steele and Charlie Strong running the defense, and they went and hired Georgia's defensive backs coach. So a lot of good names to run the defense. So I think Cristobal has got the right idea there. And then on the offensive side of the ball, what's he do? He goes out and hires the Broyles winner, Josh Gaddis, <laughs> to mm-hmm. run his offense. So we know he's a big offensive line guy. So that's something that I would expect to see Miami improve on massively in the first couple of seasons is the caliber of offensive and defensive line play, especially on the offensive side. I mean, that 
We yeah, know he's good at recruiting linemen. So from from the the Miami games I watch, which is two or three of them, they're they struggled on the lines. And I would tell you this: it's good that they have all those good defensive coaches. That that's a that's a plus for them because they might have been the worst tackling team I watched in all of college football last year, <laughs> outside of maybe Oklahoma and Arkansas State. <laughs> oh man that's bad that's really bad because i watched that i watched that oklahoma and Tulane game nobody was tackling anybody i don't know i I should probably if i get time i'll i'll maybe dig up some stats on i i would bet that miami led the acc in missed tackles (laughs) by and i wouldn't be surprised if it's a wide margin i mean they were bad it was horrid well, like I say, I think across the offensive line, they'll definitely improve right away. I mean, he's known as a great offensive line recruiter. So when you do that and you've already got a good quarterback, because Tyler Van Dyke's a good quarterback. I mean, he really is. He's a good player. So you've got a proven QB. You know, you got to find a running back, some receivers. But if your offensive line improves, then maybe some of the guys they've got already step up and play better. So. Not going to say that they go out and win nine or 10 games this year, but I mean, it wouldn't shock me. You know, oh, if, I I, if be, I'm a Miami fan and they go nine and three this year, I am over the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I mean, that's, it, it wouldn't shock me to see them win eight or nine games, but it also wouldn't shock me to see him go six and six. You know, I mean, it just, I don't really know what he's got down there. Like to yeah, work I, with that really fits his systems. I, I think seven wins is a nice, reasonable, healthy expectation for them. You know, because you're also talking about, hey, you know, they have however many four and five star players. Well, those aren't guys that he recruited necessarily. So you don't know, you know, that going back to Willie Taggart, he, that was one of, you know, something that really hurt him was he shows up and he wants to run an entirely different offensive system than Jimbo did. And now he doesn't have players to really match what he wants to do. So should he should he have flexed a little bit and, and concentrated more on what his players do well than what he wants to do? Yeah, maybe. But um, that, that's always part of it in year one is do the guys you have make sense for what, what your vision of what you want to do is? And I don't know well, if that's I think, the case for them. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it's pretty clear what they want to do. And when you hire a guy like Cristobal, and then you go and hire a guy like Gaddis. They want to run the football. Yeah, they're going to pound it. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's going to be similar to. I know. I mean, uh, do credit to Gaddis. You know, I mean, they kind of ran him out of town at Alabama when he was the wide receivers coach there, and he's you know really sort of bloomed into a good coordinator while he was at Michigan. Won the Broyles Award, and uh, I would argue really with no no great skill talent. I mean that like Michigan didn't have any real world beaters it's their skill positions i mean am i wrong they had a really good offensive line right which is the kind of recipe i think cristobal wants to yeah i'd expect that they're going to try to replicate offensively a lot of what michigan did last year and what oregon did under cristobal and they're going to run a lot of kind of zone scheme stuff they're going to run a lot they're not going to be chucking it 45 times a game Right, which is good for Tyler Van Dyke because, you know, it gives him a better chance to stay healthy, that kind of stuff. So I, I think it could be a good formula for some at least early improvements, you know. But like you said, defensively, that's the <laughs> that's the big question, man, if they can get better on defense because they sucked last year. So I don't know. 
it's going to be interesting. But man, Florida State, Miami, wouldn't it be something if they both turned out to be good again? Well, I don't know about both, but and that's part of the reason I I don't think we'll see them ever either team really kind of get to the peak that they were at. It's just because if they play in the same conference and the way the game is structured, it's really tough to to kind of replicate that sort of success they had years and years ago when they're in the same conference with Clemson, right? And then the ACC usually has kind of a a whack-a-mole type of, of revolving door of teams that have a really good year, like a Pitt or a Wake Forest or an NC State. So <laughs> I, I think there's a little more competition now than there was when these teams were in their heyday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would agree there 100%. With North Carolina, NC State, Wake, Pitt, yeah, should be interesting. I don't know. But – Overall, very interesting episode. A lot of things I didn't know, man. So it was fun doing all the research for this stuff. But, oh, God, next week, are we getting into Nebraska and Texas next week? We are. Oh, God. Longhorn Nation, we're back. Get ready. I've got my Nebraska takes all all set to go. (laughs) So I'm I'm doing Texas then. Uh, All right. Probably. Get to dive in on the Longhorns, man. Oh, jeez. I got some Texas fans that are friends, so I'll have to send out some feelers on what's going on down in well, I think Austin. everyone has friends who are Texas fans. That's the thing about Texas is it's tough to, to find someone who doesn't know a Texas fan. That's true. That's a good point. I'm about an hour from Austin right now you know, for, a, for another three weeks, so... I'm living right in the middle of it, and they're not happy. So, I don't know. We'll see. They never uh, are. <laughs> yeah. Unless they're winning the title, they're not happy. So, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for the, the first Fall from Grace episode. Uh, if you guys want to find us on Twitter, we are at South End Zone Pod. We're available on all major platforms. We are part of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'd like to thank them and our corporate sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. And we'll be back with you next week covering Nebraska and Texas. It's fall, and we'll see if they can make it back to prominence. Until then, thank you very much. Have a great day.